0: Alright, welcome into the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hey guys. Uh, like we, we're doing double duty this week. Uh, we're doing a football only centric podcast. We're trying to keep things right around 30 minutes, a little under that if we can. And, um, by doing both football and basketball, we'd easily run over an hour. Um, two games in the books now for the Oregon men's basketball team. They opened the season, uh, last Friday, November 10th uh with a 70 to 54 win over Coppin State at home and then uh they played again on Monday the 13th uh against Prairie View A&M and that one was probably a prettier game uh than than the season opener and they they walked away with a 100 to 67 victory uh and now they've got two more games before next week's PK80 Invitational their first game on Thanksgiving night against Yukon in Portland uh but before that they play Alabama State Friday and then on Sunday, they play a Ball State team that's, uh, a little bit better than expected. Yeah. And, you know, Dana's already kind of previewed that one a little bit by saying, oh, that, you know, they're a, bit, a little better than expected and they're going to be, they're going to give us a good test. Um, but the first three games of the season, Coppin State, Prairie View A&M, and then Friday's game against Alabama State, three of literally the worst teams in all, in all of college basketball. They're all above 350 in the, in the Ken Palm rankings. There's 50 teams. It wasn't that long ago. It was, like 310 <laughs> teams. Now we've got like how many teams? They're like almost 400. It's a, it's like 360 something. Gosh. Um, I think yeah, competition's not good. No. Um, but this these are the these are developmental games, as Dana Altman calls them, and they are very critical for this team because of so many new pieces, so many young players, so many guys who have yet to play games until in, at college basketball level until last week. Um, these are our games. You need to build confidence. You need to get reps in against live competition that yeah. doesn't know what's coming. Um, critical games for Oregon to be ready for next week's big game. I
1: kind of look at it almost like you're, you're playing a almost mini a, a six-game exhibition season to get ready for for actual competition because Ball State will be, I think, a step up. But yeah, and Oregon has kind of handled the competition. I thought the two games that don't actually count against that we watched Northwest Christian and Idaho They actually played pretty well. Uh, what Coppin State to me was a very strange game. They looked great for stretches and then really really bad in the second half and it ended up being a 10-point game with oh about 4 minutes to go yeah. and you kind of start and you didn't I don't think we ever really the worst concerned that we were going to lose, but it was kind of like this is strange cuz we kind of know that Coppin State isn't good and this team was up about 30 at half, but you're going to get that. You're going to have to live with that with a young team. and That's why these games are are so important to be played against teams of this caliber. Because if that's a a Ball State or a Wyoming, which knocked off Oregon State, um, I believe. On I was the just going to say
0: that you, the you, worst thing that could happen exactly. is you lose an early conference game at home
1: to a bad tip. and you're a young yeah.
0: team trying to find your confidence. Yeah. You know, we don't know how Oregon State's going to respond, but that's a you know that's a that's a gut punch right
1: yeah, there. It's not a good loss and it's early. So yeah, the schedule I think for a young team. It, it lines up really nicely just in terms of, okay, we're going to play a bunch of cupcakes early here, kind of get our feet and then, you know, start to figure out what a rotation might look like and then hopefully kind of be playing at a much higher level um, once they go to that PK80 event, which is a really nice early season kind of barometer for where they're at because. You go from playing teams that are playing in I don't even know what conference conferences <laughs> so I don't I have no idea what the school those could I have no I literally couldn't tell you even what letters are in those conferences but I know that they're not very good because those are 15 and 16 seed teams conference basically.
0: Well, I'll tell you right now. Uh, you, you have the information. I have in? the
1: information. So what are we? Uh,
0: Coppin State is in the MiAC. Okay. Do you know what the MiAC is?
1: M- mid something.
0: Athletic Mid-Eastern Conference. Athletic Conference. Yeah, I got three of the forwards. And then uh, Prairie View A&M is in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. The swag. And, and what's funny about this is it's the Southwestern Conference. Typically, I think Southwest, I think Southern California, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, right. uh, maybe Utah, maybe. they Texas. Uh, you, you've got teams from... Alabama, Mississippi, <laughs>
1: uh, Arkansas. Uh, Real West Coast right <laughs> there, Yeah, So, yeah, but these aren't good teams, and, and but they'll get a nice barometer with Econ, who's going to be a good team. And if they win that game, they might play – well, they won't be the number one team in the country because they just lost last night. But Michigan, Michigan State, State, who's a very, very talented team, a team that has one of the top draft picks in my office bridges on it and a number of other high five-star recruits. Also, it's Ben Carter, who somehow still has basketball eligibility. I don't know. He's if you're a, not familiar with Ben you, Carter, you, you, you played with Oregon, yeah, with you're, Damian Dotson and Dominic Artis. If you're a very fair weather fan, and you just started following the last two years. This guy played with a bunch of the guys <laughs> that were on those teams. That's, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, he was in the recruiting class with those guys. Uh, he's still playing for them. But uh, yeah, it'll be a nice test in Portland next week to kind of see where things are at. And, and they'll be playing teams that will more than likely be tournament teams. I know what Michigan State obviously would be. Connecticut's probably, you don't know, it's too early. They were not last year, but. Typically are, are very good. So really nice test after what is going to be probably kind of a boring first couple of weeks. Uh,
0: a couple of things that kind of stood out for me. Um, and the first one was probably the most surprising. And it's kind of finding where exactly is this going to fall in terms of normal production is Roman Sorkin, the senior four-year yeah. <laughs> starter. Uh, first game of the season against Coppin State. Sorkin looked like an all Pac-12 caliber guy. Twenty-three points, missed one of nine shots on the field, four or five from three, yeah. seven rebounds, two assists. He had a block. Uh, he had a is couple, this guy. He had a couple fouls, but yeah, you're sitting here going, it, 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 "This is magic." Dana Alman <laughs> is out there being literally a wizard, turning Roman Sorkin into a guy that's looking like a, a player who, quite honestly, yeah, you, you look at the competition, but at the same time, it's he's hitting open threes, he's dunking the basketball, he's blocking shots. Maybe Sorkin is is going to be a revelation and, and kind of a, uh, a a big improvement in, in helping this team. And then the second game yeah, of, he of the came season, back down earth. He, he he fell hard back down to reality. Didn't make a single. Didn't shoot a single shot. Didn't score a single point. Grabbed just one assist, one block. Didn't grab a single rebound. But the block was pretty pretty awesome. Pretty impressive. He had one turnover. He had two fouls. And he played just eleven minutes in the right. game. Um, I don't think he's going to play that bad the rest of the season. I don't think he's gonna play that good the rest of the season. Where in the middle is he gonna is he gonna find himself? Yeah. Um and maybe the, the 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 fact that he didn't play he didn't get a lot of opportunity to play uh in the second game
1: and because he had to play a lot in the first game was the return of Paul White. Exactly. That was what I was gonna say. I think the reason he played so many minutes in that game was with not only no Paul White who is the if you are and haven't watched the Georgetown transfer who's going to play a big role, more than likely will start yes. this season. Um, and then also MJ Cage, who also made his Oregon debut, didn't play a lot. But basically without two of their top three tallest players in that first game. So Sorkin kind of, with, without any alternatives, was forced to play probably more than typically would. Um, and I, I agree. I think his production is going to fall somewhere in between there. I think he probably will be a 15-minute-of-the-night a guy who... Comes in and provides some offensive scoring. You know, if they need to, if they're down by a lot, he can come in and shoot a lot of threes, and he's that's probably where he's most valuable at this point. And, um, but you, athletically, he's he's not on the same level of of what you need to defend probably anybody on Michigan State, and, yes. and certainly some of the teams in the in the Pac-12 once once that gets underway. But that was that was a surprise. I think what was was also kind of uh memorable from the first two first two games, especially the first one was just we thought this team was gonna be able to shoot the ball from the three really well. They did not shoot. Really and well. they did not shoot. Well I think they were eight for twenty nine. So that becomes one of those yes. things where if, if this is gonna become a shot where they're shooting it twenty nine to thirty five times or whatever it is, they certainly have to shoot it at a higher clip. And I think they're capable of it. We saw it in the exhibition games. Um, but they just didn't shoot it well and a lot of that had to do with the two grad transfers yeah the, those guys did not shoot well in the first two games at all
0: you look at the the shooting percentages for this team and you know they're 33 percent right now from three it's it's look it's two games in uh, things will, will smooth out and'll and we'll, we'll get a true indicator of where things are you know four five six seven games in into this season um, but you you kind of touched on it. Going into the year, we kind of felt like, look, this is a team that's going to rely on Peyton Pritchard because he's a sophomore, starter from last year's Final Four team. He's going to take a big jump in, in, in basically all levels of production. And then they're also going to rely on Elijah Brown, a graduate transfer from New Mexico, who was an all-Mountain West Conference player uh, the last two seasons for the Lobos. And then... Then it's kind of relying a little bit on Troy Brown, a true freshman, five-star prospect, Mike McIntosh, another graduate transfer, Paul White, kind of filling in the gaps with, right. with those guys. Uh, so far, Elijah Brown has, you know, he's shooting 23% from the floor, just 18% from three. He's averaging eight points uh, a game this season. And in two games. and You have to remember, it's two games. Right, and he averaged
1: averaged about 20 in exhibition games, so we know he can do it. uh,
0: Against Coppin State, the the opener, he just scored four points, but did grab four rebounds and four assists. He was 2 of 10 from the field. Uh, Against Prairie View A&M, his his average went up. His point production went up to 12. Um, He was 3 of 11 from the field, but he got to the line a couple times. Um, And the bigger thing, though, for for Elijah Brown is I think the scoring will come. He's in maybe a, a slump. Right now shooting, which ideally is not good considering he was supposed to, you know, be a guy you could lean on night in, night out, um, from a scoring standpoint. But I think he's, he's, and this is maybe good for him long term here at Oregon and long term for his just overall college basketball, uh, career, whether that's in the NBA, uh, or if that's overseas, um, because he came to Oregon to show that he was more than just a volume shooter like he was at New Mexico. And you look at, his stats in the first two games and he's dished about eight assists. He's got six rebounds. And more importantly, he's a guy that has just two turnovers when last season and the year before that, he was not necessarily a a turnover machine, um, but his assists to turnovers were basically the same. He had a one to one ratio. If, and in his sophomore year at New Mexico, it was actually a negative. He had 3.1 assists per game to, to 3.4. Um, that number has drastically gone up early on in two games at Oregon, uh, four assists to one turnover per game. That's a really good number, and that's what he's having to show, uh, scouts that he can play at the professional level, wherever that is, that he can, because he's, he has to play some point guard probably. And while he's not scoring, he's finding other ways to make an impact until that, that ball starts Going through the
1: net. And maybe we should talk about the other Brown because he's Troy, really good. Troy Brown's pretty good at basketball. I think is actually maybe the biggest takeaway so far. I I, knew, I think we expected him to come in and make a pretty big impact. He is, I think, what the second best recruit organist has signed to this point. Yes. Um, came in with a lot of accolades, a guy with a lot of versatility, but he's so incredibly smooth and and does some things in the court that even over the last couple of years with guys like Dylan Brooks and Joseph Young and Jordan Bell, we're playing in the NBA. Does some things that none of them really were able to do yes. in terms of he can stop on a dime and, and shoot and just he's n- a better nail, shooter than I
0: was anticipating yeah, coming nail, in from nail, three.
1: he's got a beautiful jump shot he can get to the rim in, in a lot of creative ways he's really like I said very creative with his dribble and a, a guy who through two games I think is averaging about eighteen a game which is which is more than I think we had expected and seventeen and a half
0: points, seven rebounds, three assists, one steal. And he's averaging just one and a half turnovers per That'll game. work. And he's shooting 57% That'll through work. the field.
1: Yeah, and he, he's he been really, really impressive. And obviously it's barely on, but you look at him and I think it was he's kind of in that 50-50 would he go pro or not camp because of draft projection have him kind of back end of lottery maybe mid first round maybe he comes back but the way he's playing right now he looks like a guy who can play in the NBA much sooner than later And he looks like he played today right you know he's got he's well put together He's he plays great defense he's got great hands he's just a really good basketball player and I think Probably, uh, we, you mentioned they're we expecting to lean on the two grad transfers and Pritchard and Paul White early on. And, and frankly, Troy Brown's been the best player on the team so far. Yeah,
0: I was going to just say, I, I think, hey, look, it's I'm going to say this multiple times throughout this, enti- <laughs> through this entire podcast. Yeah. We're two games in, um, but the, the very small sample size that we have, it's very clear. Troy Brown is the best player on this team, and quite honestly, I don't think Peyton Pritchard has, has played terrible. No. I, I, I think he's been very similar to what his role was last season. There's nothing really to complain about with Pritchard, but I think Troy Brown is such a dynamic player. I'm almost kind of wondering if they should switch and have Peyton play off the ball and Troy Brown kind of facilitate everything just because of his vision, yep. the throws he can make, yep. uh, how you know he sees over your typical guard because he's 6'7". Being guarded by 6'4, six, 6'5 six, guys. Uh, the throws he can make. I mean, he's made a couple passes. I mean, I, I came for the second half of the uh, Prairie View right, AM yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, you were covering it, so I missed the first half. But just in a couple minutes of watching Troy Brown on the court, you instantly could I, We saw the first game, I saw an exhibition game, saw you know, most of the second half of Prairie View AM, and the passes that he made. You know there were a couple times you're just like whoa like you don't make those unless you're a very special talented player and he talked about that post game where you know he's been working with Dana Altman since he got here in June about making the simple play and for him though a simple play is a very difficult play <laughs> for a lot of other people yeah. out there
1: when you've already started to see this through two games he's six foot seven he's probably considered a small forward with his size, but when Peyton Pritchard's not in the game, he's been the primary. He's the point. He's playing point guard. Um, And I I do, I kind of wonder if this is going to be similar, you know, for Pritchard, it's probably kind of painful, but similar to what happened with Casey Benson last year, where Benson was started the season as a point guard. He'd been the starting point guard the year before. Everybody kind of thought they'll figure out a way to mix it, make it work. And within five games or so, Pritchard's now starting over Benson and I don't know if, I don't know well, if they're Pritchard not gonna will take fall Pritchard off off starting lineup because no. I don't think there's anyone on the bench better. But I just wonder if, if it becomes a situation where Troy Brown is kind of initiating the offense more times than not. And I cause I think they're better off that way. And it's and he, as weird as it sounds, because Pritchard's a pretty good point guard, he looked great a lot of times last year. True Brown's just a special talent.
0: And that's why I made my bold predictions to going into the season that I felt like Pritchard would be the guy eventually to lead this team in scoring, because Pritchard is a lights-out three-point shooter. Yeah. He's very, very good at that. He's shooting 42, 43% from the three-point line um, this season. And it's not like he's only taken a couple. He's three of seven in two games, mm-hmm. uh, third on the team in, in three-point attempts, uh, and he's just one behind the second guy. And that's actually Troy Brown. Um, he's shooting a better percentage than, than Troy Brown as well. Um, I think Pritchard this season... Could be a guy where look you run him off screens with off of Macintosh or you run him off you know maybe you you put him on a screen for Troy Brown that you know have him screen a small forward because you can have guards set, you can have point guard set screens and have him roll off to the wing and, and Troy Brown feed him for the for the shots. I think I think Pritchard's going to be in a position where he might not necessarily be the best player on this team, but he might lead the team in scoring. If the ball starts going through Troy Brown more and more because he's going to be lethal from three, yeah. and a guy that you know Brown will have no problem finding on the court.
1: It will be interesting to see how Pritchard will, will would handle that decision in terms of you know he considers himself a point guard. Is he comfortable doing that? And if he does, but like, I, like you said, I think if he does accept that role as as a spot up shooter as a guy that plays off ball, this offense might be just that much better. And, and you've seen at times, them really struggle offensively. I know they scored 63 points in the second half against Prairie View, but they weren't very good in that first half. And then they were even worse in the second half against Coppin State. They scored like 28 points against a pretty bad team. Um, and so you can tell they're still starting to figure out some things offensively. So maybe one of the solutions is having Troy Brown kind of run your offense, which is feels a little bit strange because he's six foot seven and like I said, looks like a small forward. But he's so incredibly versatile and good with the basketball that you just kind of wonder if that doesn't make the most sense long term. I,
0: I think that this team also is going to have a lot of growing pains, and it's going to go throughout the month of December. Um, we've seen it already in two games. You just mentioned it. There were por- there are points in both games where Oregon just looked raggedy. They yeah. they looked stale, um, not even close to what uh, we've been accustomed to seeing in the last three or four years, um, and that's you know in large part because. There's so many new faces and so many guys making their first couple of games in, into their careers here at Oregon, uh, and at the college basketball level. And eventually it's going to come. But, you know, if you're an Oregon basketball fan and you're watching and you're, walk, you're getting frustrated with maybe the sloppiness or the poor shooting, yeah. uh, poor defensive rebounding, you know, that's something that, you know, the staff is very aware of that, that, you know, they're struggling in those regards and they're held to a higher standard. But you know, there also needs to be an approach of, look, this is a young team. They're learning to play together, but we've already seen in spurts against Coffin State that final four or five minutes of the first half yep. when they, I think, scored like 26 points in yeah, four, crazy. four or five minutes. Um, the second half uh, against uh, Prairie View A&M when they found their rhythm in the press, and next thing you know, they were getting a ton of fast break points. I think they finished the game with 19 to zero fast break points, and they mm-hmm. blew open a game that was kind of always around 11 to 12 yeah. into a 30-point uh, margin up at, at one point. Um, they're getting there, and I, I think the question, you know, it's just having patience with this team and w- waiting until they can figure things out. And if you're Oregon, you're hoping it's before the PK eighty because if you can if you can get into the PK eighty and, and start playing closer to where you you would hope to be than than farther away, you got a chance to get one or two wins, yeah, maybe maybe three. I mean, maybe you can pull off a couple upsets, um, but you got a chance to to pull off. I think they'll beat UConn. <clears throat> I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, but after that, maybe you, 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 uh, you give a good showing against Michigan State, and then in, in the third place game uh, for your for your uh, your bracket that you're in, you you get the up you get the win there too, and you come out of the PK eighty two and one. Those are going to be two top fifty wins. For your NCAA tournament resume,
1: and that's huge. I was gonna say, yeah, I think the, the worst case scenario is that they don't figure it out. They lose to UConn. They play, I think, like Oklahoma or somebody in the losers bracket. They lose that game, and then they're playing Portland, and you end up with, you know, a two, you know, one win, but it's over Portland, who's you know nothing to write home about. So you, you've got to take advantage of this opportunity in the PK80 because you kind of control your own destiny in terms of the quality of wins that you're able to accumulate. Because if Like you said, if you go out there and you win your first game against UConn, you get a game against Michigan State who's going to probably be a number one or two seed when the tournament selection committee makes decisions in March.
0: And those type of games are just always invaluable, uh, especially for a young team uh, like Oregon is today. So uh, that's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Um, We'll do another one of these probably leading up to the PK-80 Invitational. Um, Some great Thanksgiving Day uh, reading audio or reading material uh, you can read it guys we'll transcribe it <laughs> uh, while you're waiting for your turkey to cook uh, yeah. if you're trying to tune out some family members you don't normally uh, see all that often Ouch! <laughs> um, you can listen to us on Wednesday again next week and Thursday uh, we'll record this, that podcast as well to preview um, PK80 we're going to do one about once a week for basketball yep. we don't, we don't want to go too heavy into it um, if Oregon season goes better than expected and you know, the, the the demand is there. We'll certainly expand upon this and do a little bit more. But uh, for now, we're just going to do one a week. So until next week, uh, for myself, Matt Prem, Eric Skopel is across the way. We will talk to you guys soon. See you guys.